Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay and I am the founder of Vitality 40+. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask, but unsure as to where to get the information. Hi, and welcome to another podcast for Vitality 40 Plus. Uh, today, my special guest is a gentleman, uh, Jerry Kelly, who is uh, not only the CEO of the Sovereign Group and who I've been fortunate to meet in Gibraltar, um, but is, and well, certainly is an avid supporter of the menopause following, um, but also has his own story to tell. So today's title is Men menopause and prostate and I'm going to leave that with you just hanging right now to find out the connection. So my first thing a welcome Jerry. Thank you very much Trudy <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> Lovely and thank you so much for giving up your time in which I know it's a busy period um, and it's been great because we were often talking about when I met you in Gibraltar in May um, about everything we were talking about everything but we were initially talking about the menopause so um firstly let's start with a little bit about you Jerry let's start with a bit about your family and uh, what you do now and, and where you are okay well I'm um as you might tell from my accent I am Irish um grew up in Ireland went to school in Dublin um and left Ireland in when I was late 20s and went to the Isle of Man and worked in the Isle of Man for about 10, 11 years, um, and then ended up in Jersey for a couple of years with Bank of Ireland. And um, after that, um, spent some time um, looking around to see where we base ourselves, and we decided to move to Gibraltar, and that was 2002, so 20 years on in Gibraltar. Um, I started off with Sovereign as finance manager, then operations, and took over as CEO in 2018. I'm one of six boys, no girls. Um, my mom was very, very lucky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, lots, lots of wives and lots of um, daughters along the way since. I've um, three daughters and one son um, and lots of nieces and nephews. But uh, yeah, one of six boys. So I didn't really wow. know too much about the female side of things when I was growing up. And also went to an all-male boarding school, so even knew less about girls. Yes. So it's quite a discovery afterwards. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, it's, when, you're, when you're thinking about, and especially um, in Ireland, where we, we, we've often spoken about boys and how they're brought up. In your, in your childhood, um, how do you feel you were brought up as boys? In your in your family environment, well, as, as a very loving family environment, um, but it was, I suppose, a little bit more. What would you say, traditional at the time? Um, boys did what boys did. Um, girls did different things. 
um, the girls were expected to, um, if you like, muck in in the housework and the boys helped out. I grew up a small farm and a small holding, and you were expected to lend a hand there. If girls were around, they were more inside and working in the house. Mm. So it was quite traditional in that respect. Do you know, it's, it's when you start to look down the line, isn't it, to the future generation. And we are now talking so much more openly about stuff. And I'm sure, um, you know, again, just reverting back to, to your sort of growing up years, that things were not really discussed, was it about, I mean, or was it, should I say, was the birds and the bees discussed? Were you, you know, in... No, not really. I was left, um, I was left a small book um, on my bedside locker, um, which I didn't really understand or know too much about. Um, and that was to the, the extent of it in the family environment. You know, in boarding school, you tended to learn from other guys, um, which yeah. is quite odd, um, and just talking about things. And then you find, in, in our case, in boarding school, it was magazines. Um, yes. The early magazines were passed around. And, oh, wow. That's, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and so there's a lot of um, unusual learning, let's say, compared to what you might expect nowadays. But, but you know, Jerry, this unusual learning, I mean, I talk about this with my other half, he's 58, and it, he was um he was brought up from um in the sort of borders of Scotland and it's exactly the same you know he, he was yeah good. it was probably it normal really learning good. in those days <laughs> yeah, exactly it wasn't like practical practical education you know you just have to go out and find out the world yeah so now we're bringing in so we go back to sort of finding girls and understanding yesterday we were we were understanding girls and I will be bringing up that story about uh, the Vagina Museum very shortly and let the listeners be worrying, thinking about that. I say worrying about that, but thinking about that. Um, and we're moving into sort of getting into this world now in the 50s and, and you know, you're married. And um, I came to, um, well, actually it was, was one of your MDs, John Blake at the time saying, I've got this thing I want to do about menopause. And there I am quite happily talking about the menopause because I talk about this like, you know, what am I going to have for dinner? And I don't mm. really think about the embarrassment or any kind of taboo. However, give me one year ago, give me four years ago, or four years ago, I hadn't even heard of the word. Here I am, I was a 50-year-old woman, not ever having, her, having heard spoke about the word menopause, and also I was a personal trainer and trained, specialised in women. So let's bring it back to men. So can we can we revert back into your mind, Jerry? When was the first time you heard about the word menopause? Oh God, um, I was probably it was probably twenties or thirties, and it was just something that you know menopause you heard and women go through, and um, and in many ways probably they're best left alone if they're going through the menopause. Um, that would have been one expression. Um, the, the change it was known as. Yes, yes. Well, um, and if in some ways there was a word that wasn't spoken, it was a little bit like if somebody had cancer, it was said in a lower voice, it was had cancer, or they had to got the big C, you mightn't actually mention the word cancer. No. But somebody's going through, oh, she's going through the change. Um, do you recall and, your mum? Do you recall your mum saying this? Because 20, no. 30 years ago was a big thing. That's a big, that's a big time ago. No, my mum wouldn't have spoken about that at all. And, and I was, um, my mum was 
40, 41 when she had me. So she was an older one. Oh, wow. Um, so she didn't mention it at all. I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I wouldn't have been aware um, when she was going through the menopause. I wouldn't have been aware of what was happening. Um, so, yeah, it was just a complete, you know, if something happened, it happened. But I was completely unaware. And it's interesting, again, so your mum was quite late in having, were you the youngest? No, I'm, I'm the youngest. Um, my brothers are um, 16, 14, 12, 10 and eight years older than me. Um, oh, OK, so, so you, were, yeah. you, had, yo, you were definitely um, on the end yeah. of the year. Yes. The last um, one. Yeah. Some so, some people say the afterthought. Some people say mistake. <laughs> I would never say the mistake. There's a psychological stigma to that. I'd never say the mistake. But you know what I was referring to. Particularly oh, I do. I do. I have a letter. I have a letter at home, Trudy. My my brothers are away in school as well, and they didn't actually know that my mom was pregnant. Um, so it was a surprise to them when my dad went into the boarding school to let some of them know that they've got a baby brother. And I actually have a letter at home um, from one of my brothers to another brother who's, who was in a different school. And um, I was speaking about, you know, we played rugby on Saturday and there was a film on Saturday night and whatever it was. And, and we did this. And we've got a school trip. And then it was P.S. I hear we've got a new baby brother. Oh, 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 can yeah. you imagine? Can you imagine how they must have felt? And again, you're throwing this back years ago and like going through that. We start married life, and we're now at an age when, um, when your wife and maybe this is the start of learning about the menopause firsthand. Um, I'm I'm going to throw it, and I, I don't know your wife, so I hope she she won't feel offended. Could be about twenty six, for all I know. Um, <laughs> but I'm assuming not. Um, but it, about how did you how did you find out? I mean, did, did you speak? How did you find out more about it? Um, yeah, you, you learn a little bit more as you go through life. Um, yeah, my wife is in her mid late fifties, and let's say she's gone through it. Um, she would say herself that she probably didn't suffer as much as some. Um, but you know, she um, we did speak a little bit about it, but not not as much looking back on it, not as much as I should have spoken about it. Mm. Um, I should have inquired more. Um, we should have spoken about it more. Um, it, again, it was one that, okay, yeah, this is happening. It was, are you okay? Um, but really, that was as far as it went. It didn't inquire too much and say, well, how are we going to go through this together? What should I do? How should we prepare? What should we do? Um, I think now it'd be a little bit more open and questioning about um the whole area and it's like what you said a few minutes ago a year ago you wouldn't have spoken too much about it or three years ago or four years ago um it's only in the last six months um i would say that i'm speaking more about it and i've had one or two um people in the office who've come in and said well i'm actually going through at the moment and this is happening and i'm finding you know i'm finding it really odd because i can't concentrate as much on this or that and it's more an open conversation now that I wouldn't have had a year ago. I mean, that's, I mean, to me, listening to that, that kind of like makes my day because one of the things that when we, when we started the menopause training in the sovereign group, um, I became aware and it, and it is in other companies as well, that women will start to think, well, actually the whole idea is, is that we open the door from the top and that women can then have the freedom to speak without feeling 
that they're embarrassed or that yep. they've got a male boss or the fact that they um, are a failure because they in fact um, aren't coping with life as, as well as they, as they should do. Um, and it's interesting again, just going back on that again, your point, you know, talking about families and, and wives and partners, um, I'm very open now when I go in and, you know, and I think even when I trained last year, I'd be like, oh, I, I wouldn't even, I'd be very embarrassed about mentioning the Morena coil. Um, and now I, here I am talking about, you know, how does it affect your, your partnership, in, you know, in the bedroom, in normal life? Because there is a huge um, paper that's just been written about how many marriages fail during the menopause. And there is the greatest number between 45 and 50. And although it can't all be blamed on the menopause, you know, we, we do try not to do the blaming symptom here, but, but a lot of it is because women don't understand what they're going through. They don't understand how they're changing and what's happening to them. So how are we supposed to communicate that with our partners, with our family, with our work colleagues, when we don't understand um, and it's interesting now when you look back that perhaps those conversations could have been more open at home. Yeah, def definitely. Um, and I still don't understand, but it's at least I've got a bit more knowledge. Um, yeah. So with that, you can talk a little bit more. Um, you can ask a few more open questions. And ultimately, you just want to know how people are feeling and, um, you know, in, in the workplace, just how people are and if they're working to capacity and the reasons why they mightn't be and um, asking them to be open about what's going on. And um, at least we can have that discussion. You know, again, that's a perfect line, a perfect bridge over because we're talking menopause, we've talked professional, we've talked personal. We're now talking about what we call sensitive conversations or being aware, being good manager, the difference between a poor manager and a good manager and being able to communicate effectively within the environment. But let's talk about your story now because your story in respect of where you have come from and that, that's when we met in May and about your personal story about prostate, which is our link over. Yeah, um, so, I'd go for health checks um, each year, and I suppose it was in my late 40s. Um, and yeah, just getting a normal health check, and there was one, you know, let's check the prostate. And at that stage, a, a blood test. Um, and so I had the blood test, went back and said, oh, the PSA reading is high. I said, well, what does that mean? Um, and I said, well, we'll just keep an eye on it. Um, come back in six months and we'll see if the reading was maybe a one-off and just see if anything is happening. Don't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. And six months later, I had another um, checkup and a, and a blood test and the PSA reading was high. And this carried on for about a year or two. And I said, yeah, at your age, late 40s, it's unusual to have a, a PSA reading sort of that high. Um, so had a check um, and the prostate did um, um, what you call it, like an ultrasound and mm -hmm. said, your prostate is larger than it, we would expect it to be. I said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, do you, do you notice you're getting up at night to go to the loo? I said, actually, yeah, um, you know, I am. Um, maybe once a night, maybe twice a night. Um, and any other times? And then I was thinking about it and 
this would happen, say you're driving an hour's drive to the airport or something and 20 minutes in, I'm, an urge to go to the loo. And it's the urge is not just an urge, it's I need to go and I need to go now. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it too much. And then the, the guy I was seeing was saying, well, that's the result of you know, the prostate um, because it sits below the bladder, it's enlarged. So it's putting some pressure um, on the bladder. So you just feel like you need to go to the loo more often. Um, nothing to worry about, but we'll give you some tablets and maybe it'll shrink the size a little bit and, and we carry on. So we carried on um, and I was taking the, the tablets and medication for a while. Um, I'd say that was about four or five years. And that um, diminished, if you like, the, the urge and getting up at night and, and things like that. Um, but we kept checking and um, ultrasound and, and whatever else. And then it came to a stage that said, yes, it, it is now about three times the size that we would expect it to be. Um, so I had a look. He did a biopsy just to check there was nothing um, sinister going on. The biopsy came back and, and that was all fine, which was great. Um, but the effect of the medication um, was starting to lessen. So I was back to getting up twice a night and um, strong urges to go to the loo in different places and all that sort of thing. Um, and so we we're just talking about it. And he said, you know, there's nothing to worry about here, but, you know, what, what are we going to do long term? Because um, it doesn't seem like this is going to improve too much. And I said, well, what are the options? And um, I said, at this stage, well, we can do an operation and effectively that it vaporizes your prostate and um, we, we remove it. Um, I said, well, what does that mean? Um, he said, it'll take a week or two just to get your control back again um, when you go to the loo. But afterwards, um, no real change, except when you ejaculate, you won't actually have anything to ejaculate. It'll be a puff of air, um, the way he put it to me. Um, but at the same time, you won't have any urges to get up in the night. You won't have any of this. It'll be back to what you were like when you were in your 20s. I said, okay. Um, so it was about five years ago, six years ago, I went for the operation. Um, and it's always traumatic when you've got an operation and you're, you know, one day you're in an office and doing things and making decisions and the following day you're lying and you're back in a bed and um, strapped up yeah, to yeah. wires and whatever else. And you feel very, very vulnerable. Vulnerable. Very, yeah. very vulnerable the, the, when I woke up after the operation and didn't really have any control of what I was doing. Um, on, on, yeah, going for a wee and that sort of thing. So it took a few days. I got back control. Um, and yeah, after about a week or so, I was back in work again. Um, but what I found was just talking to people in work. Um, there was a chap who, who worked with me. He was in his late 30s, 40. Um, he had similar. Um, a few other people had similar. And I spoke about it to other people in, in groupings. And the more I spoke about it, the more questions people asked. Um, because males generally don't talk about these sort of things. Well, this, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there, Jerry. I mean, even I'm, I'm sitting here. Uh, I know you can't see me because my camera's not working, but I'm happily listening because I don't know anything about this. I, I even when we talk about prostate cancer, um, which I'm assuming, you know, you did not have, because obviously that would no, be obvious. No. Um, but that's the sort of the next stage. I'm assuming that happened. Um, yeah. I didn't know, even in my in my small research I've done, I didn't realise 
the prostate affected both from you on a sexual basis. Um, I knew it affected the bladder, but I didn't know that they could like vaporize it and, and that you can have that done. I mean, that's phenomenal really in a, in a way. Yes. Um, and yeah, there are some, as I say, side effects from that, but at the same time, you know, it's the getting up at night time and, or, you know, just having these urges to go to the loo all the time and it's three times um, the size that it should have been. And you feel, well, that's not quite right. No, um, no, no, no. So we need to do something on that. And, um, you know, it is, um, the prostate is there for, you know, it's um, sexual reproduction and that and my days were passed in that respect. Yeah, I say this as if it's like, you know, but I, I, I talk, I'm, I'm a very practical person, right? So I, I sort of really deal with, practical now I'm very fortunate I've not experienced um, cancer um, but I have podcasted and spoken to um, ladies who are living with cancer and some of the things that they do and some of the way they think and they're very pragmatic and the fact is it's kind of like well if this is if this is if this means that I have a better way of life by doing option a that I'm going to do option a and people are like, oh really but if it means that you know you're going to know live longer have a much better quality life than that so be it and I think one of the things um, that we talk about women's health but not dissimilar that when you have fibroids or they're, they're talking about having various parts you know we talk about hysterectomies and partial hysterectomies and oocorectomies where we have the ovaries you know at the end of the day if there is a reason for having this done then then you need to have it done and then you have to, you know hopefully deal with what the fallout of that is and for women that's a hormonal issue but again with prostate um you're having that done you're taking away any risks as well as having a better quality of life um so you're so you were saying about the the going into the office and talking about it and did you find that men the men the guys in the office were they happy to talk about it did they feel a bit disconcerted were they happy to go ahead and have checks and it's a really good question and it's a very mixed response um I remember I was in the pub one evening and somebody asked and said, you're in hospital recently. Well, is everything OK? So I started telling them about it and they were really interested and started asking me a lot of questions. And I had another chap sitting, well, standing, listening. And um, the conversation stopped and then he turned to me and said, God, um, I couldn't talk about anything like that. Um, he said, you're, you're very, very brave. Um, and I said, well, I, I don't find it brave. It's just it's happened and um, I didn't know anything about it six months or a year ago in terms of where I am now so I'm just telling what's happened um, so that sort of reaction to say people other people who are inquisitive um, you still have the reaction of some people and saying well a prostate and you know the prostate it's up your bum nobody's going to stick the finger yeah. up my bum yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that sort of thing and then it's like well, bloody hell you know what about your wife or your partner you have to have a child have you seen what they've gone yeah. through um, yeah. you know if you're going to be worried about something like that well you know really if you've you've got concerns um but you know you should get this checked out if you're in your 40s 50s get it checked out you know just do the blood test find out what's going on and you know, deal with it um yeah you know there was somebody said to me many years ago the graveyard is full of indispensable employees uh -huh. lovely 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 strap line especially from the ceo and it is <laughs> isn't it you're absolutely right as much as you value your the, the work and everything that's done if you don't get yourself checked, if you don't look after yourself, and it goes back to my mission about women, 
you know, knowledge is power, empower the person, and then you make those decisions. I still see women who will not deal with issues, right? Medical or psychologically or physically. And I am very like, surely you would want to know to be able to action rather than, oh, well, it's fine. Yeah, yeah I'll be fine. Yeah. It, it's hard thing. Well, I, I think it is as well, in some ways, the way we're brought up, you know, I've mentioned my my background. I'm lucky enough. Also, one of my older brothers is a, a GP, a doctor. Um, so having him around and talking about things made you know some of that um, more open. Um, and you know, I've come across many people like that who bury their head in the sand and say, you know, I'm not feeling well, but I don't really want to go to the doctor because I don't want to find out. Um, I and I think other, that's more know, for like, men. I think yeah, that's more I, for men. I mean, I do, yeah. my other half is terrible. I mean, unless there's some, you know, he's on, he's literally, uh, I don't like to use a deathbed, but I mean, that I couldn't get him to go to the doctor with, you know, I mean, he's, you know, we, we often say, I think, oh, you know, you're paying twice a night, three nights a night, you know, we should really go and get your prostate checked. You're at that age now. Like, no, no. Yeah. Whereas I'd be a lot more open on that, I suppose, because of um, having um my brother michael around and just being able to ask those sort of questions and he talking about things um and just in a more open way and it was just a it was part of conversation so just going to get a health check and going to the doctor and just asking about various things does it seems normal you know jerry i think we go back to the same thing with women um it's about this this gp education the gp um relationship now you know I was very fortunate in the fact that I've had a GP for 40 odd years and I'm probably in the in the old school now where obviously a lot of GPs are transient and UK we know are, you know is either online or you don't get the same GP because it's in a in a cooperative or something so that is very important um and I do I do believe that these discussions need to be had and, and it sort of kind of brings me on to my little bit of a promotion here but but it's kind of what I was mentioning the other day is that I've decided to partner. I'm partnering with a, a UK male GP um, now to run a series of workshops on men's health, because I really yeah. believe we, we know that, you know, let's look at the right hand, that suicide is by far the highest uh, category is young males. Um, yes. There is a link, obviously, to depression and, and suicide with menopause, but I would like to think that women tend to be like go to the well to talk, whereas men tend to go into their caves and not talk for whatever yeah. stigma and whatever usage. And I know that there are always exceptions to the rule on that, um, but I'm very aware of that. And I've done quite a lot of work with suicide prevention with some UK um, leading UK um, uh, champions, for want of a better word, on suicide prevention. And it was actually during one of these campaigns that was following through on LinkedIn that I met Dr. Ed Rainbow, um, who himself has gone through a mental breakdown, if that's the word, as a GP. Um, and he had to make some decisions in his life as to what he was going to do because his marriage was being affected, his family were being affected, um, his work, because obviously the GP was all very consuming with um, various other issues going on. Um, so he made he made some completely ground changing decisions. And, and one of those was to work on coaching, still a GP. Um, and we've come together with a, a product about five workshops. And I think 
he said to me, what do you think men want to talk about? And I go, Ed, this your area, but I can probably name them on one hand. You know, you're talking psychological issues. You're talking about anxiety, stress, pressure, burnout. These, these words, burnout, a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. But, you know, what does it all, all mean? You know, you've worked, you've worked or are working in an industry which is, you know, go, go, go. It's, you know, what's happening. You know, how do you cope with, how do you cope with these psychological points of your life? Um, yeah, now when I was speaking to my um, surgeon just about prostate and all of that and, and speaking to him afterwards and um, um, just sexual arousal and things like that and I said is it is it because of the prostate and, and then he said you know, what are you working at um so I explained what I was doing and he said do you suffer stress and I said well I'm not sure um and he said it's probably more down to stress um than anything else if you are having any problems um so I think it is you know men don't really talk about it and again it's because you're you're supposed to be macho and you can cope with all of these things but it's stress, it's anxiety, it's, you know, just family um, matters. You know, there's lots happening all around. Um, and, you know, talking about all of that, some, sometimes you, you just don't. Um, you try and deal with it as best you can. Um, you want to be the, the strong person and not show any vulnerability, if you like. Um, but actually, I think, you, you know, showing that bit of vulnerability shows you're a little bit stronger in, in the long run. When I, I do my final slide, and I know that you've attended the menopause training session, final slide on the andropause, which is in effect, the male menopause, in effect that it's the same thing, testosterone is dropping, it, it starts to drop. By the time you're 50s and late 50s, testosterone is, you know, you're empty of three quarters of your testosterone level. Testosterone, we know is the libido, libido muscle mass density and focus and concentration it it is a smaller amount in women but still a major a major player and um, for guys this is your main one you have a small amount of estrogen in your body mm. but the fact is that this is a hormonal issue so if you have a hormonal issue going on it is not necessarily and you said that in your own uh, own words jerry that you know, well, I didn't really know what was going on. You know, yeah, am I stressed? I don't know if I'm stressed. You know, I am CEO of a, of a working group. I've got companies. I've got to travel. I've, you know, got to make sure this, this, and this. Yes, there is stress on there. And you're right. And it's the same that we try to sort of educate the women and say, look, you know, you have family stress. You have medical stress. You've got work stress, um, anxiety, money, whatever. All the things that are what I call extrinsic stress factors. They're, they're there. And um, somehow we've got to try not to internalize that stress so much. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we end up in this kind of whirlpool. And I suppose that's one of the other buzzwords that we're talking about: resilience. You know, how to how to deal with stress, coping, external stress, and how we. I find a, I find the best way is exercise. So yeah. walking, but also going to the gym, um, but particularly walking. And if I if I go through a day and I don't have a decent walk um I feel it at the end of the day um, yeah I'm exactly the same exactly the same. one of those times that um you can it sorts out a lot of issues um just having a walk because you're not thinking about anything but you're thinking about everything at the same time yeah um and 
you know, going for a long walk and suddenly you come back and think, well, why didn't I think of that? And why didn't I think of this? And you know, that problem. And, you know, that's easy to sort out. I can let myself down in various things. So I make appointments to go to the gym. And if I make an appointment, I'll turn up and, and I'll do it. Um, but if I don't have an appointment, it's easy to make an excuse. Um, but you're going to fulfill that appointment and it's a bloody hell. Um, I wish I hadn't made that appointment. But then you come out afterwards and you feel yeah. so, so much better. Absolutely. Um, right. Absolutely. Accountability is huge. Um, and, you know, we should all become accountable to ourselves, of course. And here I am sitting as a personal trainer. Um, and one of the things that I struggle with, I, I don't go to the gym, but I make sure I get up in the morning. And my morning routine is I get up, make the bed, always make the bed um, early in the morning. Um, and then I do exercise. That exercise, I will depend on whether. So if I see it's sunny, I will make myself walk. Because I know actually walking um, is definitely the best form of exercise that male or female should be having first thing in the morning to allow oxygen, carbon dioxide to remove, oxygen to come into the body, freshens the brain, lights up. You also only need to do about 30 to 45 minutes of a decent walk, not a, not a, not a stroll, ladies, in case you're listening to this, but um, a decent walk um, to actually burn off the energy stores from the night before. So it's a really good way, particularly if, if, you're, if you are doing intermittent fasting, i.e. not eating to maybe 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, um, to really start to burn off some of those excess calories. And you're very right in saying, again, the things that we don't discuss as men um, or, uh, in the men is particularly libido. And, and one of the things with the, with the slide <laughs> So it came up, I was, I was actually um, doing a session last week with a load of guys, a load of guys on menopause. And one of them just said at the end, I had all these symptoms of the andropause, you know, obesity, fatigue, um, you know, uh, feeling sluggish, being motivated, um, all of these symptoms. And, last, and this guy comes out on Teams and he says to me, oh my God, I've got all of those. And I said, well, you know, right, okay. But you as guys, you're very fortunate in the fact, well, I mean, in a way, you can go to your doctor, and this is what I would be saying, go to your doctor and talk testosterone. You need to get your levels checked and ask what your check level is, okay? Because it's a bit like estrogen. It's a huge normal level. Um, again, another podcast I'm listening out for is one on um, with Ross Tompkins, who did one on testosterone, um, and he has a company called Alphagenics. And you can actually, you know, get testosterone for you. I mean, men can go and get Viagra over the counter, women can't. Um, but it, and there's another, that's another huge issue about testosterone for women, but that's not today's subject. <laughs> but yeah, you can see how we have now gone. So if anybody's worried, thinking, well, this is a bit of an odd thing, but we have done menopause. We have done how men think about the menopause, how men now have we talk about male menopause, the andropause, and also into prostate and men's health. And all of this comes down to you, Jerry. And before we finish, and I'll, I'll be asking you for three tips, so you can start thinking that, you've got to now tell the story about the Vagina Museum. Okay. Yeah. And your the, vagina, the Vagina Museum is a museum. Um, and I didn't know it existed. And I was passing through Camden Market in London um, a few years ago and um, with my wife and one of my daughters, and we came across the Vagina Museum. Um, so we went in to have a look and um, it's educational, um, very, very educational. 
um, just talking about women's vaginas and things that myths um, that may have occurred in old wives' tales, um, but just generally educational because what it said there is a lot of women don't know their own bodies um, and men really don't know their bodies or women's bodies. Um, so there's really an educational piece. I bought a mug um, and it just, um, it has various different types of vaginas pictured <laughs> on the mug, little drawings on the mug, um, and just a vagina museum. And it's now one of my favorite mugs in the office. <laughs> and so you do get people, or I do get people in the office, and you're chatting away, and suddenly you ask a question, what in the name of God is that? And we end up with a conversation about the vagina museum, which is no longer in Camden Market, but it's in um, East London somewhere. Um, you can Google it. I'm definitely, I'm definitely finding this out. I've definitely, you know, on my next trip, I've got to get to this museum. Um, but we've ended, I've ended up in numerous conversations with people in the office talking about this, but you generally end up, if it's two guys talking about the prostate and talking about different things and men's health and all that. So again, it's just a good conversation piece. Absolutely. No, brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. Now, before we go, um, I always say three tips three tips that we're going to you can let the listeners talk about think about or action three tips okay one um medical checks um go get yourself checked out um even if it's just a basic check and for men particularly those who are aged over 45 47 you know ask for a prostate um just on a check about a psa reading um exercise yeah um and nearly most important and self-care um look after yourself because you know you, it has to start with yourself because how can you look after other people if you can't look after yourself first oh do you know what i couldn't have ended that podcast with a better strap line um <laughs> than that look thank you very much jay i really appreciate your time and um Look forward to meeting up with you soon. Lovely. Thank you very much, Trudy. Take care. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And welcome to another conversation very soon on Vitality 40 Plus. For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website, www.vitality40plus.com. Thanks for listening.